Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to be your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do all of that, if you could please go down to wherever you are listening to this on any podcast network, and if you could please give me a rating on it, it would be greatly appreciated. And also, if you could subscribe to whatever form you're on that also be appreciated because when you do that it allows the algorithms to let people know that i am here and it also does uh let people know that i'm here so now with that all being said uh let's get on with the show raw will open up they're at madison square garden and the first thing they will show on monday night raw is they will show a video replay of logan paul and the miz having a brawl in the middle of the ring before raw actually came on so they showed a video of this and it leads into them having a brawl uh, they would get separated by backstage officials and refs, and this would lead into what happens later in the night when Logan Paul hosts his show Impulsive, but I'll get to that when time comes. After this video will play, we will get the bloodline coming out. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman, the Usos. Uh, Roman's out here to do his uh, shtick, basically telling the people to acknowledge him. Roman would bring Paul in and tell Paul that he's tired of talking, so he hands Paul to do his work. And Paul starts getting and doing his magic. Paul will start talking about Roman coming up on his 700th day reign as champion. But before he can get to that, he has to defeat Brock Lesnar this Saturday at SummerSlam. Paul would talk about how Brock Lesnar enjoys ruining streaks and celebrations. He would mention how Randy Couture was on a UFC uh, career streak. But when Brock came in, he halted that. He mentions how he beat the Undertaker's undefeated streak. He talked about when John Cena was Super Cena. Brock Lesnar came in and killed that. And also, if you haven't uh, seen this video, go to YouTube. The day John Super Cena died is a guy uh, made by a guy named Pav. He's Wrestle Gifts on Twitter. Great video. If you don't know about Super Cena, you get to learn all about it in that video. Um, now, Paul would say that when you think of Roman Reigns' championship reign you think of Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns because they're tethered together but at SummerSlam that's all going to end because Roman will do anything he has to do to keep Brock down and he will be able to keep his championships and that after SummerSlam Brock won't be able to stand up at all so once Paul gets thrown all that diatribe Theory will come out and Theory will tell them that they keep on forgetting about him and his plans Theory will go over saying that he plans on winning the United States Championship at SummerSlam. He's going to cash in the money in the bank, and he will be the new Undisputed Universal Champion. Roman would then get the mic from Paul Heyman and tell Theory that, listen, you need to get in the ring and acknowledge your tribal chief instead of standing on the outside. Theory would hesitate, but he would still get in the ring, and he would be intimidated as he's in the ring by himself and he's staring at the bloodline. Roman would tell theory that you have nothing to worry about because I like you. And he looks at Paul and says, don't we like him? Paul says, yeah, he's all right. Roman would tell theory point blank, listen, you don't know what you're doing with that money in the big briefcase, but you need to have a wise man on your side. You know what? I'll do that for you. I'll be that wise man for you tonight. Okay. And Roman will give theory some advice. I want you to start looking around. I want you to analyze this situation here. You understand? Your daddy's not here anymore. When Roman hits that line, the whole crowd goes nuts they start chanting who's your daddy to theory and what they're poking at is that vince mcmahon is not with wwe anymore aka he's not with the chairman he's retired 
and that he no longer has theories back. So theories on an island by himself. Roman would say that he runs the garden now. So Roman would then drop the mic and then he would leave the ring and the Usos will follow right behind him. And once the Usos start walking out of the ring, you see Jay slap Theory behind the head. Theory being hot-headed, he hits Jay in the back with the Money in the Bank briefcase about a good three times. And then Jay is wanting to hit Theory so bad, but Roman will put his arm around Jay and just start pulling the back and still look at Theory and then tap his own head and say, you need to think about this. Roman then will leave with the Usos and then we would get our first match of the night because Drew McIntyre would then come out and we would now have Drew going against Theory or as I call it, the Battle of the Chosen Ones because back in the day, Drew McIntyre was Vince McMahon's Chosen One and now, fast forward years later, Theory is the quote-unquote Chosen One from Vince McMahon. Uh, the match would get thrown out when Sheamus and his group of buddies, Butch and Ridge Holland, would come out and attack Drew McIntyre Theory would join in on the beating until Bobby would run in the ring and make the save on Drew McIntyre's behalf, which will lead us into a tag match. Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley going against Theory and Sheamus. Bobby would get the win for his team by submission when Theory would have Bobby on his shoulders and he was ready to hit the A-Town down, but Theory would look at the announce table and see Dolph Ziggler leaning on it. This would allow Bobby to get off Theory's shoulders and lock Theory in the hurt lock and Theory would tap out immediately. After the match, Theory would start walking up the ramp with his Money in the Bank briefcase, and once he's on the entrance stage, he turns around, and the Usos are right there, and they double super kick Theory in the face, knocking him down. Jay will pick up the briefcase, and then you see Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman come walking out. Roman will grab the briefcase, lay it on Theory's chest, and let him know that when you cash is in a SummerSlam, you need to make the right decision. We would go backstage and we will finally get a reason for why Dolph is messing with Theory and it's because Theory needs to be taught a lesson. Dolph says that he has seen plenty of guys like Theory come and go and he just thought that he just needed to teach Theory a lesson. So we'll have to see how that happens, continues at SummerSlam. I don't know if this that's a good reason for it, but that's the reason why WWE wants to go with this. Uh, after this, we would get Rey Mysterio's 20th. Uh, anniversary since joining WWE Celebration. You would see Rey Mysterio in the ring with his son, Dominic. You would see his wife and daughter, Aaliyah, in the backstage in the locker room with family and friends. Rey would tell the story of when he first started wrestling in Tijuana, and he never thought that he would be performing in WWE. He would also mention that he broke the stereotypes of little guys not making it in the business, which is true. Rey Mysterio is literally the luchador that broke the stereotype because when you think of small wrestlers you automatically think of ray and he's been like the only little guy well he was the first like big little guy to actually start making money in uh wrestling constantly whether he's in wwe wcw or even wants to do independent stuff he's able to make money because everybody loves ray mysterio uh ray would give thanks to friends that he's had in this business and these are the friends that he was able to list off he couldn't name everybody but he was able to list uh Malenko, k-dog better known as conan uh batista kern angle edge and of course eddie guerrero ray would say that he misses eddie every day and that without him he wouldn't have made it here so he thanks eddie ray would thank the fans for being with him the last 20 years ray would thank his wife and his daughter for always being there for him Ray would tell Dominic that he is proud of him, and he knows that when he is gone, he will represent the Mysterio's name to the fullest. Ray would then start speaking Spanish to his Hispanic fans out there, and you would hear them cheering for Ray. 
Dom would point out Finn Balor walking in the audience and Ray just stops and look at Finn and then you see Damian Priest come out the other side of the arena through the audience. This will lead into a tag match of the Mysterios going against Judgment Day. Ray would get the win for his team when Damian would get a chair and slide it to Finn. Finn would try to pull it Eddie, but that wouldn't work because Dom would get the ref's attention and this would allow Ray to grab the chair from Finn hit Finn in the gut with the steel chair, then throw the chair at Finn. Finn will catch it, and then Ray will pull an Eddie. This will see the ref look at Finn, and Finn will throw the chair out of the ring, and he will charge at Ray. Ray would get Finn in a Huna Karana, then throw him into the middle rope. Damien would run in the ring and run towards Ray, but Ray would drop kick him in the middle of the ropes. Then you see Dom and Ray hit a double 619. Then Ray will finish it off with a frog splash on Finn Balor for the win. After this, we see Rey Mysterio and Dominic go backstage, go into their locker room with their family and friends. They pop bottles. Rey gets a shot of tequila. Aaliyah would give Rey a gift, and inside that said gift is his Halloween Havoc gear that he won against Eddie Guerrero, and Rey would be surprised because he hasn't seen this in a long time. And all the celebration ends when Rhea Ripley would walk into the locker room, and she's wearing the Eddie Guerrero I'm Your Poppy t-shirt. Don will tell Rhea she needs to leave because this isn't the right time. Then you will see Aaliyah get in the face of Rhea Ripley and says she'll make her leave. Rhea would mush Aaliyah in the face and then Rhea would quickly grab Dominic and start bringing him out of the locker room. Ray would follow and this would see Ray get jumped by Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Leading to Ray getting put through a table by Damian and this would end Ray Mysterio's whole celebration. And it would be announced that the Mysterios will be facing Judgment Day in a no DQ match at SummerSlam. And I tweeted it out, Rey Mysterio is the most selfless uh, professional in that I've ever seen because on a celebration like this, you ain't supposed to have being jumped. You're supposed to be celebrated. The fans are supposed to be loving on you and all this type of stuff. They did all that, but you're not supposed to get jumped. You're not supposed to do none of that. It's just supposed to be nothing but celebration. But Ray, and every time that he has something, he always gives it up to somebody else. Years ago, whenever uh, Rey Mysterio brought his family there for his daughter's birthday in the ring. Uh, Rey Mysterio would get cut off by CM Punk in the Straight Edge Society. You can look that up on YouTube. And again, that's just another example of giving that moment to another wrestler. And the family knows about it, but it's just one of those things that you give everything to the business. So Rey Mysterio literally is a constant professional that I say, yo, if you're going to do something and you want to give a spotlight to a wrestler, you could do it to a celebration the same way that Ray would do it. So I don't want to hear no wrestler say, hey, I can't do that. No, if Ray Mysterio, a great Lucha Libre legend can do that, you can too. There's no uh, buts about this. After this, we would see Bianca Belair have an in-ring promo. Bianca Belair will come out, and before she can say anything, Becky Lynch will come out. And before Becky can even say anything, Bianca will stop her in the track and say that she is the strongest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the greatest, and the best. Becky will punch Bianca in the face, and now we have a fight on our hands. Both ladies will start punching at each other. Bianca will get Becky in position for the KOD, but Becky will grab the top rope and land on the ring apron. Becky will then grab at Bianca's braid, and now you see Becky pull Bianca to the outside of the ring. Now both the ladies on the outside of the ring just fighting with each other. They fight towards the commentary table, and Bianca would charge Becky, and they would land on the opposite side of the table. Referees and backstage officials would run down to separate both of the ladies. And again, this is adding more fire to their upcoming 
uh, SummerSlam matchup for the Raw Women's Championship. Again, this has been a year in the making at the exact event where Bianca got robbed last year. So we're going to see how that works at SummerSlam. After this, we had Alexa Bliss going against Dewdrop, who had Nikki A.S.H. in her corner. Alexa would win the match by pinfall when Alexa would counter Dewdrop's shoulder breaker into a DDT for the win. After this, we had Impulsive TV. We is uh, Logan Paul's uh, mimic of Miz TV. Logan Paul will come out. He says a couple words, but ultimately he's calling out the Miz so they can finish what they started earlier before Raw came out. Miz wouldn't come out, and Logan will proceed to call Miz out more, but instead, Miz's wife, Maurice, will come out. Maurice will start plugging her and Miz's show, Miz and Mrs., the finale, and she would tell Logan that she doesn't appreciate how he keeps on talking about Miz's package, which, again, is still weird to me how WWE just goes to talking about a man's genitalia on uh, television, which it shouldn't be weird, but just the Miz and that, I think it's gone on too long. Uh, Miz would come out and tell Logan that he taught him everything, and Miz would tell Logan that he owes everything to him, and that at SummerSlam, Logan isn't going to get Miz TV. He isn't going to get Miz and Mrs. Miz. He ain't going to get Father Miz. No, he's going to get Big Moment Miz. And he would say his cash phrase because he's the Miz and he's awesome. Logan would tell him to shut up. Logan would say it's just like him to talk because he has tiny balls. Miz would slap Logan in the face. Logan would slap, laugh it off and tell Maurice that she has bigger balls than her husband. Logan then would get jumped by Ciampa. But Logan would be able to back chop onto a corner. Miz would join in, but Logan would double leg hook, uh, take down Miz, and then you would see Logan start pounding on Miz. And then you would see that Logan has a nice uh, get up on the Miz until Ciampa would attack him from behind, and now leads a two on one beatdown. Ciampa would pick Logan up. Miz would hit with a skull crusher finale, and that's all for this segment. After this, we had a tag matchup. AJ Styles and Dolph Ziggler going against Alpha Academy. Dolph will get the win for his team by pinfall when Gable will grab AJ and he's looking to hit his rolling German suplex, but AJ would push Gable off of him and Ziggler would hit his zigzag on Gable for the win. Solid tag. Main event time. Six-man tag matchup. Street Profits and Riddle going against the Bloodline. Roman Reigns and the Usos. Roman would get the win for his team by pinfall when Riddle would go for an RKO on Roman, but Roman would throw Riddle off of him. And then he will hit Riddle with a spear for the win. Solid six-man tag for all six of these guys. Uh, Montez Ford bled in the match. He bled from, like, a corner of his, like, eye socket. And, like, the blood came down to his nose. What was weird to me was that the referee didn't have gloves in his pockets. Usually the referees have gloves in their pockets. And they're usually black. And um, they went to commercial break, and when they popped right back on, the referee had gloves on, but it was like the blue paramedics, so he got it from a paramedic, a uh, medical staffer. That's what I consist of that. But, eh, anyway, good solid six-man matchup. After the match, uh, the bloodline will be walking up the ramp. Seth Rollins' music would hit. Seth Rollins would walk down the ramp. He makes eye contact with Roman. They have a nice little stare down. Seth will laugh it off and tell Roman to go bye-bye. Seth would walk down to the ring, get in there, attack Riddle, hit him with a clothesline, then throw him outside of the ring, grab the steel steps, hit Riddle with the steel steps, then hit Riddle with a curb stomp one time on the ground, and then put Riddle on the steel steps and hit him with another curb stomp, and that's how Raw ends with Riddle being laid out with Seth Rollins laughing it up, and again, this is playing into their matchup that 
they're going to have a SummerSlam of Riddle going against Seth, and I will be giving you my predictions of that match later uh, when I get to the, my SummerSlam predictions. But that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to NXT, and before I get into the results, a couple things to highlight. Next week on NXT, we will have a False Count Anywhere matchup. Solo Sokoa going against Von Wagner. Also, Alba Fire will be going against Lash Legend. Hopefully, this will end their little feud that they've been having. Now, getting into what happened on NXT this week. Uh, first thing to start off, Zoe Stark in-ring promo. Zoe Stark will come out. She says she, it feels good to be back here, and she would mention that she didn't know she would be ever be able to get back in this exact situation because she reminisces about Halloween Havoc last year and the doctors telling her that she tore her ACL MCL completely off the bone and that she will be out for over a year. And she would talk about how she had doubts and how the doubts would play in her head. But once she started getting the confidence in herself, she started training and she came back four months before time. She was supposed to be out for a whole entire year, but she came back four months before time. Uh, Zoe would say that uh, returning last week in the Battle Royal felt great, and she thanks the fans for all their support. And now she mentions how she is the number one contender for the NXT Women's Champion, and she is going to take the championship away from Mandy Rose because it'll be poetic justice because they're the ones that got her injured. So it'll be great to take the championship away from Toxic Attraction. Cora J's music would hit. Zoe will look at the entrance stage, but that's not where Cora would appear. Cora will appear on the perch on NXT. Cora would tell Zoe that she has only been back for a week, but she's already tired of her already. Cora would say that she should have won the Women's Battle Royal last week. If it wasn't for the 19 other women ganging up on her, she would have. Cora would say that. That was supposed to be her moment, like two weeks ago was supposed to be her moment, but Roxanne ruined that. Zoe would say that she saw Cora's moment two weeks ago and she found it disgusting. She also found that Cora throwing the Women's Tag Team Championships in the trash disrespectful. She would say that she held that championship once and she holds it in a high regard. Cora would reply to that by saying that Zoe's just jealous of her because she was able to do more with that championship in one week than Zoe did her entire reign. Then the toxic attraction would come out and Mandy would start singing her own praises. She would talk about how she is now the fourth longest reigning NXT Women's Champion. She mentioned how she beats Bailey's uh, championship reign, Charlotte's championship reign, Rhea Ripley's championship reign. And now Paige's championship reign. But she does say thank you to Paige. Um, she will say that people now have to start putting respect on her name. Zoe will say, you know what? I found a perfect way how you can get people to put respect on your name. By beating me tonight to retain your championship. Mandy would decline that offer. And it was announced that Zoe instead will be facing Gigi Dolan later in the night. Also, Mandy will be facing Zoe in three weeks on NXT in their special heat wave for the NXT Women's Championship. After this segment, we would get Grayson Waller going against Wesley, our first match of the night, and Grayson Waller would win the match by pinfall thanks to some help from Trick Williams. When Wes was thrown off the top turnbuckle to the outside of the ring, the ref would stop Grayson Waller from leaving the ring to try to get at Wes, and as this was happening, Wes was trying to get to his feet, catch his uh, breath and all this type of stuff, but 
what he doesn't see is Trick Williams. He would stand up from the crowd and he's wearing boxing gloves and he would punch West behind the head. This would knock West down and the referee would count up to the count of nine. West would get in the ring before he can hit 10. And this would allow Grayson Waller to hit his rolling stunner on Wesley for the win. And now we're continuing the story of Wesley going against Trick Williams. I still have a feeling that we're going to tie in Carmelo Hayes into this. Because right now, I don't know who they got for Carmelo for the North American Championship. And it just seems like a real easy transition to have Wesley go after Trick. And then immediately after that, he goes after Carmelo Hayes. It seems like an easy transition. But we'll see what NXT has uh, in store for Carmelo Hayes at the moment. After this, we would have another matchup. Apollo Crews going against Zion Quinn. Apollo would win the match by pinfall when he hits a one-handed spine buster for the win. And I'm cool with this because Zion is not going to win. If anything, I don't see what more Zion Quinn can do in NXT. I don't see much for him left here, to be honest with you. I can see him being like one of the next guys getting called up to the main roster. To do what? I don't know. He just seems like he'll probably be the next one either called up or be released. I'm hoping it's him being called up instead of being released, to be honest with you. Uh, after this, we had Zoe Starks going against Gigi Dolan with Toxic Attraction in her corner. Zoe would win the match by pinfall when she hits Gigi with a tilt world knee to the face for the win. After the match, JC Jane would try to attack Zoe from behind, but Zoe would see it coming and she would hit her with a super kick. Mandy Rose would get in the ring and she would look at trying to size up Zoe to hit her with the NXT Women's Championship, but Zoe would see her, and Mandy would quickly slide out of the ring. Now you see Zoe look at Toxic Attraction as they're standing on the ramp, holding their faces, and what Zoe doesn't see is Cora Jade has slid into the ring behind her with a kendo stick, and now you see Cora hit Zoe in the back with a kendo stick, and then you see Cora hit her three more times with the kendo stick until Roxanne Perez's music hit, and Roxanne would stand on the entrance stage and have a stare down with Cora and then run towards the ring. Roxanne would run in the ring and Cora would quickly rush out of the ring and start running through the crowd. And now you see Roxanne pick up Zoe asking if she's okay, and that's the end of this. Later in the show, we will see Roxanne being interviewed backstage and she will be holding one half of the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship. Roxanne will say that these titles need to be held by women with respect. And then you will see. Alundra Blaze, or better known as Medusa in WCW, come walking in, and she will be bringing in a trash can. And you will see Roxanne dig into that trash can and pull out the other women's uh, NXT Tag Team Championship. Roxanne will hand both championships over to Alundra Blaze, and Alundra will announce that next week on NXT, there will be a fatal four-way elimination tag team matchup for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. It will be Toxic Attraction Zone, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane going against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley, going against Kaden Carter and Katana Chance, going against Valentina Flores and Yalissa Leon. And th that match is going to start NXT next week, and they do say it's going to be commercial free. I'm happy for that. And personally, I'm still on the side of Kaden Carter and Katana Chance to win because they are the longest reigning tag team in that match. And plus, they have been putting in the work and they need to win. So, I don't care how you make it happen. But make Katana and Kaden win that tag team championship next week of NXT. I'm telling you, that what needs to happen. Anyway, 
After this, we will get J.D. McDonough have a promo. J.D. will be in the crowd, and he says that he has to apologize for them for not formally introducing himself these past two weeks. He mentions how he showed up after the Great America Bash after beating Braun Breaker and not introducing himself. He mentions how he beat Cameron Grimes last week, and he didn't formally introduce himself. So that's what he's doing a chance now. J.D. will start moving around in the audience and start giving out advice. He would give out advice to one audience member who is golfing down popcorn, and JD tells him that you need to be careful because not many people know that, but popcorn is one of the top things that take out American citizens because a lot of people eat popcorn. They just like to golf it down, and one wrong move can just stop them right in their tracks and go down the wrong pipe, and they can stop. So you need to be careful you chewing your popcorn. He would move over to the timeskeeper, tell him that his job is important, and tell him that he needs to be careful swinging the hammer because he could pop a finger. He would go over and say his name to the ring announcer, say that she has a lovely voice. He would make his way over to the commentators, and he would get at Vic Joseph because he told Vic Joseph that I heard what you said about me last week, and I don't find that amusing at all. And he puts his hand on Vic's shoulder, and he tells him that you're... I can see why you feel that you could say that, because you're tall, you're linky, and you have an easy bone structure. And I probably can break your collarbone right now if I put a lot of pressure on it right now. And then you see JD put this pressure on Vic's shoulder. And you see Vic start getting like, like in a real, real uncomfortable spot. And then you see JD let go and he says, but I'm not going to do that. And he just tells him, keep up the good work. Then you see JD finally get to the point. He calls out Braun Breaker so he can introduce himself to him formally. Braun Breaker will come out. Braun will let JD know that they're going to get real cozy because in three weeks at heat wave they'll be having a match and that next week they're going to be making it official so jd would then headbutt braun breaker and then he would think he could pull him in for the back suplex but braun would hit him with a shoulder tackle and this would knock jd down jd would then be bleeding from the mouth and then he would look at braun and he would just start smiling with the blood in his mouth so this is showing off jd having a real dark twisted side to him because what type of man smiles with blood in his mouth I don't know what type of thing we're going with this, but whatever they do with JD or Jordan Devlin, keep it up because you know what? I'm buying it. Uh, after this, we had Andre Chase going against Giovanni Vinci. Giovanni would win the match by pinfall when Giovanni would hit his sidestep power bomb for the win. It was a great match between both uh, Giovanni and Andre Chase here. To be honest with you, I didn't think they were going to give Andre a lot of uh, time to beat up on Giovanni. I mean, Giovanni was wrestling the exact same way that he was wrestling against Apollo Crews. And I understand why they gave that enough time because they're both two guys that are basically being repackaged back into NXT. They need to prove something to themselves here. But Andre Chase, who is a guy who gets used to be like the uh, relief, the pick-me-up guy for NXT... Andre Chase is a good wrestler, don't get me twisted, but I don't see them really going to do much with Andre Chase while they're trying to build up on Giovanni Vinci here. You having both of them go that far out and having them have a good match, but I'm just saying Giovanni should have squashed uh, Andre Chase faster than it took him to. That's all I'm saying. After the match, Giovanni would stomp out Chase until Nathan Frazier would get in the ring and then you see Giovanni leave out of the ring. Now we're building up to Nathan Frazier going against Giovanni that's what I'm talking about. Nathan Frazier, you could tell NXT wants to do something with Nathan Frazier. So why not have him 
have a good match and a long match with Giovanni instead of Andre Chase. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to have somebody be built up in NXT, why not just have that be the situation? Not have your guy that you're building up going against a guy that you're not building up. Have a long match. It doesn't make sense to me. But again, I'm not the guy writing the show here. After this, we will have Indy Hartwell going against Ariana Grace. Indy would win the match by pinfall when Ariana had Indy in a roll-up and she would put her feet on the ropes. The referee would catch Ariana's feet on the rope and stop the count. Indy would get out of the pin and then you would see her big boot Ariana in the face and then cover her for the win. After this, we get to our main event, eight-man tag matchup, Diamond Mine going against the D'Angelo family. Tony would win the match for his team by pinfall when Roddy and Julius were taking care of the D'Angelo family with Roddy hitting jumping knees, and then Julius following it up with a sliding clothesline to members of the D'Angelo family. Julius would grab Tony D'Angelo, hold him so Roddy could hit his knee, but Tony would duck. Julius would get hit with the knee. Stax would get in the ring and punch Roddy in the face. Tony would grab Julius, hit him with the spinning fisherman suplex that they now call the forget about it, cover him for the win. That's how the D'Angelo family wins. You know what's interesting about this? Uh, both of Santos' guys, Ra- Raul, or oh, I'm sorry, God, Toro and uh, Wild, they're now dressed up in all black. They no longer have the Lucha Libre like tights and gear and all that type of stuff. They're now like wearing like stuff of Tony D'Angelo. So this could be a turning point for when Santos Escobar comes back and he tries to get uh both of his guys back. And this could be a situation. Do they want to still be with? Tony, because they're starting to now be integrated with Tony, or will they side back with Santos? That would be a nice, interesting dynamic when Santos coming back. Uh, but that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite, but before I get to that, I have to give you the results for Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor. Um, to start the show off, we will have Claudio Castagnoli going against Jonathan Gresham for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Claudio would win that championship by pinfall when he would hit the Ricola bomb on Jonathan for the win. So Claudio is the Ring of Honor World Champion. This is his first world championship, and it's kind of uh, storybook writing for a wrestler because Claudio first started getting like worldwide national recognition whenever he was in Ring of Honor, and for him to have gone from Ring of Honor the first time to WWE, never win a championship in Ring of Honor the first time, nor WWE to now come back to Ring of Honor after getting a big national global uh, view, and everybody gets to see exactly how talented that he is. He gets to win the world championship of the first promotion that he started getting national recognition in America. That's a storybook ending for a uh, caliber superstar athlete like Claudio. So congratulations to Claudio. After this, we will have the six-man tag team championships be defended. Uh, the Righteous, which is Vincent, Tyler Bateman, and Dutch going against Dalton Castle and the boys. The boys now have names. They're Brandon and Brent. Dalton and the boys would beat the Righteous by pinfall when Dalton would hit Vincent with the bangerang and pin him. So Dalton and the boys are now on their second reign of Ring of Honor World six-man tag team champions, so congratulations to them. After this, we would get the Pure Championship matchup between Wheeler Yuta and Daniel Garcia. Wheeler Yuta would beat Daniel Garcia by pinfall when he would beat Daniel Garcia by making him, uh, by pinning him the exact same way that he pinned 
uh, Chuck Taylor by using Chuck Taylor's pin. So again, it's still the best friends maneuver that helped Willie Yuta, even though he's been training with Blackpool Comedy Club all this time, it's still the best friends uh, fundamentals that got Willie Yuta the win here. So he is still your pure champion. After this, we had Roosh going against Dragon Lee, brother against brother. Roosh would win by pinfall when you would hit the horns of the bull, which is basically a running uh, drop kick while Dragon Lee is positioned in the bottom turnbuckle. So once Roosh did that, he would pin Dragon Lee to get the win. Nice match between both of the brothers here. They were able to swing at each other with chopping each other constantly in the chest. They did some unbelievable things. So again, nice maneuver, nice match between both of these guys. After this, we have Mercedes Martinez going against Serena Deed for the ROH Women World Championship. Mercedes Martinez would win that matchup by making Serena Deed uh, tap out in the surfboard dragon sleeper. So now Mercedes Martinez is still your Ring of Honor Women's Champion. After this, we have the Ring of Honor World Television Championship matchup. Samoa Joe going against Jay Lethal. Samoa Joe would defeat Jay Lethal by submission when he would lock into Coquina Clutch. And Jay Lethal would tap out. And then we get to the main event. The two out of three falls for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship. FTR going against the Briscoes. FTR will win the match two to one fall. The Briscoe will take the first fall, and then the FTR will take the last two falls. So FTR are still your tag team champions. It was a hard-fought matchup between both of these two. This match was the longest match of the night. And understandably, it's two out of three falls with both teams just basically throwing everything they got to the windows and everything they just had at each other. Um... I suggest if you could try to find it on YouTube, try to find anywhere you can to watch if any match, the two out of three falls between FTR and the Briscoes, uh, great thing. After that, you would get uh, Blackpool Combat Club of Claudio and Willie Uta with Rhea Regal standing on the entrance ramp as they looked at FTR in the middle of the ring. And you would see Claudio and Uta lift up their titles as FTR will lift up their titles. So that could be some implications down the line. We will have to see. We won't see on Dynamite, and we will not see on Rampage. Um, now, getting to Dynamite, the first thing to have it on Dynamite was the AEW Interim World Championship uh, matchup between John Moxley and Roosh. Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Moxley would get Roosh in the bulldog choke after he hit him with the paradigm shift, and the referee would look at Roosh's face and see that Roosh is out for the count, and the ref would call for the bell. It was a hard-fought match between John Moxley and Roosh. I mean, these two were just throwing hands with each other. They were. This was a real just like brawl between the two. Yes, you had some wrestling maneuvers in here, but these two were just really just brawling type of guys. They're just really just going to be out here just to be throwing hands, slamming each other, and they really just don't care about each other's bodies that much. So that I did like that matchup for that specific reason because you know you're going to get all you get out of Moxley and Roosh, and I was glad to see it. After the match, we would see Jericho and his Jericho Appreciation Society with him. Um, Jericho's basically out here to tell Moxley that in two weeks, he would be challenging him for the AEW Interim World Championship. Moxley would agree to that, but he would tell Jericho that he doesn't want this crappy version of Jericho that he's been portraying for these past few months. The Wizard, the Entertainer, all these different trademark names, whatever. He wants the last survivor of the Heart Dungeon Lionheart Chris Jericho, basically the guy that came into the wrestling business to set it ablaze and all that type of stuff that made his name. So in two weeks, we will get Moxley going against Chris Jericho, and we will have to see what type of Jericho will show up for that. Also, we would get 
uh, unveiling of new championships in AEW. They now have the AEW Trios Championship, or better known as the AEW Six-Man Championships, whatever you want, you want to call them. Um, there will be a tournament for these championships, but the finals will be held at All Out. And there was a special, like, little thing going down backstage with the Young Bucks. You will see the Young Bucks walking backstage. Brandon Colors recording them. Young Bucks tell them that they don't want to record right now. Tell them to cut the camera off, but Brandon doesn't cut the camera off. The Young Bucks walk, and they see Adam Page just standing right there. Adam Page sees the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks walk up to Page. Matt tries to talk to him for a minute, and you can tell that the Young Bucks is trying to, like, reconnect with Hangman Page because Matt says, listen, man, I've been trying to talk to you for some weeks now, and I've just been trying to get something off my chest, but before he can really just say anything to Page deep, uh, the Dark Order will walk up on Hangman Page, and they would uh, just say happy birthday to him because it's Hangman's birthday, and you see that they tense to something what's going on here. They say, hey, is something, is everything good here? And then Hangman would say, yeah, everything's good, and the Young Bucks would just walk away. So this is building up to a story of Hangman, more than likely probably joining back with the Young Bucks, being with them again, while the Dark Order is probably going to be their own thing. And we're going to see how this trio tournament go and come together. And the funny thing about this, I'm sorry if I'm deviating, but the funny thing about this is that Tony Khan did say that he was going to bring up the trios championships once Kenny Omega will be returning. So now that the championships are here, this is kind of speculating that Kenny Omega is at least coming back soon and he might be making his way before All Out. He might be joining in the tournament or he might come out at All Out. Who knows? But Kenny Omega is on the way because Tony Khan is not going to unveil a championship that the fans have been asking for since the day, since the literal birth of AEW in 2019. And he would not unveil those titles without having Kenny Omega at least being somewhere around the mix for this championship because that was per his order. So we'll have to see when Kenny Omega will show up. Now, back to the show. After the World Championship matchup, we had the FTW Championship matchup. Dan Housen going against Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall when you hit Dan Housen with the spear. After the match, Ricky would get the mic and he would say that he's now going to call out another challenger, and this time he's serious. He wants a serious competitor to come out here. We wait a couple seconds, and then Hook's music would hit, and the crowd goes nuts. Hook comes out in orange trunks, paying homage to his father. Taz was on commentary for this. He would get in the ring. You would see Stars look at Hook, and the bell rings, and they have a match. And ultimately, in the end, Ricky would go for the Rochambeau on Hook, but Hook would counter out of it lock in the red rum or better known as a Taz mission and Ricky would tap out. So hook is now the new FTW champion and he is holding the title that his father created. So it's a storybook in storybook moment for hook is a family moment for hook. The fans loved it. Once the bell ringed off, the fans cheered out their seats. You saw the whole arena just erupt for hook winning a championship that his father created. You could tell that Taz was, uh, excited for that himself uh ricky would give hook a fist bump and hook would reciprocate to it so hook and ricky starks are still cool after this after that you will see powerhouse hob come down to the ring and ricky starks will have an interview with tony Schiavone. ricky would say that he was given the ftw championship 
when people in the back saw it as a news, but Ricky Starks turned that into a championship that means something, and he has brought prestige back to that championship. Nobody could say that they've done that but him. Ricky would then go on to say that he is tired of people saying that you need to wait for your time. Be patient. He's heard that last year. He heard that last month. His time is right now, and he's know that he's had some setbacks. Losses come with the territory, but it's all about how you be able to get back up and go forward from this. And as soon as he says that him and Powerhouse Hobbs are about to do something, you hear Ricky say Powerhouse Hobbs out of his name, and Powerhouse just straight up clothesline Ricky right in the neck. And for people that don't know, Ricky Starks has had a problem with neck issues last year. That's the reason why he was on the shelf a lot of 2021. So when Powerhouse did that, it was a shock because, one, he hit him in the neck, so Ricky could be out a little bit longer now. And two, Powerhouse just turned on Ricky Starks, the guy that he's been with ever since he joined Team Taz in late 2020. So now, Ricky is down and out. Taz is on commentary. Taz don't know what to make of this. The crowd doesn't know what to make of this. Everybody's just startled by this. Powerhouse would get Ricky up, hit him with a spine buster, and then you would just see Hobbs just look down at Ricky. And you could tell the story where they're going to go with this is that Ricky has been the one holding Hobbs back. Hobbs is going to make that the sentiment because the last time uh, they were in a championship matchup for the tag titles, Hobbs didn't get pinned. Ricky was the guy that got pinned by Swerve Strickland, so you could tell that Hobbs is going to play that into his reasoning for why he turned on Ricky Starks. More or less, we'll probably get that next week, but we'll have to see how the story goes. So now, Ricky Starks is now a good guy in Powerhouse Hobbs. Might have just denounced himself from Team Taz. We'll have to see how that goes. After this, we would get Sammy Guevara with Ty Conti in his corner going against Dante Martin, who has Sky Blue in his corner. Sammy would win the match by pinfall, and Dante Martin would go for the nosedive, but Sammy would move out of the way, and he would get on the ring apron, and he would hit his springboard cutter on Dante, then pick up the win by hitting him with the GTH, and that's how he beat Dante Martin. After the match, Sammy would stomp on Dante, then put him in position to go to the top turnbuckle. Sky Blue would get in the ring and start yelling at Sammy. Ty would get in the face of Sky, and they would argue with each other. Anna Jay would run down to the ring, attack Sky from behind. Now Sky and Dante are getting jumped and beaten on by Sammy, Ty, and Anna Jay until Ortiz, Ruby Soho, and Eddie Kingston would run down to the ring. That's when Sammy and his company would leave the ring and start walking up the ramp. So Eddie Kingston is nowhere near done with Sammy, and we're going to have a match between those two soon. It doesn't say when, but you can tell that's where they're building up for. Now we will finally get to hear from Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy will come out here, and this is his first time actually getting to say something on the mic ever since he was taken out by Christian Cage a couple weeks ago. Jungle Boy will be out here with Luchasaurus, and as soon as he gets on the mic, he would start speaking personal to Christian. And fair warning, there is going to be some verbiage in here that Jungle Boy uses that are not of uh, PG language, so just be advised by that. You are the biggest pussy I have ever met in my entire life! And you know what? I have watched you come out here for weeks and talk all sorts of bullshit about my entire family. And congratulations, by the way. You are now the most relevant you have ever been in your entire career. And you know what I did? I didn't really get it at first. What, what you're so angry about. You know, you said it's because I, I threw you out of some battle royal more than a year ago. 
And I, I guess you missed out on some bonus you would have got if you had won that match. But I mean, for someone who's been wrestling as long as you have, that shouldn't be that big of a deal, should it? But you know, then, then I thought a little more and I realized why you needed that money so bad. You were strapped for cash because your wife had just divorced your bitch ass. Now, as you heard from Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy got as personal as Christian did from all those weeks of constantly throwing shots. Jungle Boy had enough, so he decided to throw some personal shots back at Christian. Jungle Boy will let everybody know that Luchasaurus was basically protecting Christian until Jungle Boy came back because Jungle Boy didn't want nobody to get at Christian before he did, so that's the reason why Luchasaurus was with Christian for those weeks that Jungle Boy wasn't there. Jungle Boy will go and talk about that years ago, three years to be exact, that he was standing in a hole and he was crying his eyes out, which is alluding to the passing of his father. And as soon as he was talking about that story, Christian would pop up on the screen and Christian would tell Luchasaurus that siding with Jungle Boy and continuing to be his lapdog is a waste because once you were with me these past few weeks, you saw what I could have done for you. You started to get matches, but now you're just going to continue to play the lapdog of Jungle Boy. Christian would then go on to Jungle Boy and tell Jungle Boy that he doesn't have to worry about crying anymore because he's going to be laying next to his father next. And that's taking it there. Christian would finish by saying that he can have the monster, Luchasaurus, because Jungle Boy has told Christian all of his secrets, and now he's going to exploit it. So Christian is going to do what he does best. He's going to play the weasel. He's going to figure out how to outbest Jungle Boy by exploiting whatever he told him in the past. So we got to see within the next few weeks how that's going to work. And more or less, we're probably going to get a match between these two again at All Out. This is what I believe they're building up to. So we'll see how that goes. After this, we would get Swerve Strickland going against Tony Nese and Mark Sterling in a handicap match. Swerve would get the win by pinfall when he would hit the Swerve Kick to the side ahead of Mark for the win. Uh, it was an easy throwaway matchup here. After the match, we would get video of Keith Lee backstage laid out, and we would see the man laying him out. It was Josh Woods, and he would be standing there holding the AEW Tag Team Championship. We would see Swerve look at the video, and this would allow Tony Nese to hit Swerve from behind and lay out Swerve. Then you would see Tony hold up Swerve's half of the Tag Team Championships. So it seems to me this was an orchestrated plan. Josh Woods is now with Tony Nese and Mark Sterling, and those... And it seems that those two are going to be the guys challenging for the tag titles next. I'm not mad at it because Josh Woods was the last peer champion before he lost it to Wheeler Yuta. And he's actually a good wrestler. So to see him on AEW television is not a bad look. After this, we will get the AEW Women's Championship matchup. Miyu Yamashita going against champion Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa would win the match by pinfall. Miyu would go and look to hit Thunder with a kick in the head. But... Thunder would duck the kick, and Thunder would kick Miu in the head. Then grab her and hit the Thunder Fire Thunder Driver for the win. After the match, they would pay respects to each other by bowing to each other. So Thunder Rosa retains her AEW Women's Championship. And now we go into the main event of Dynamite. Brian Danielson going against Daniel Garcia. This is Brian's first match coming back from injury, coming back from double or nothing. And Daniel Garcia will win the match by ref stoppage when Brian would throw Daniel Garcia back into the ring after they fought outside of the ring. And once Brian would try to slide in back into the ring, you would see an arm pop out from under the ring and grab Brian by the leg, and he wouldn't let it go. Brian would have to kick at the arm, making the arm let go of the leg. And once Brian got completely into the ring, you would see Daniel Garcia grab Brian, hit him with a pile driver, and then lock in the sharpshooter. 
Brian would pass out after trying to fight out of it for so long, but ultimately he would pass out and the referee would look at Brian and then he would see him passed out. He would call for the bell. So Daniel Garcia would win the matchup. This is probably Daniel Garcia's biggest win of his career, literally, whether in independence or on mainstream television. Brian Danielson literally tapped out, not tapped out, but got passed out by uh maneuver by Daniel Garcia. So this can shoot uh Daniel Garcia up in the rankings for the TNT championship. I can see that's exactly what we're gonna be alluding to next. So eh, I'm not mad at it. Personally, we're used to seeing like the person coming back from injuries and winning the matchup. This was just a nice little uh monkey wrench into the plants. I'm just surprised how we didn't see any Blackpool Combat Club guys coming out there like a Yuta or Claudio or even a Moxley coming down there to just help out Brian. But, hey, we'll probably get to see some uh, dissension between that next week because I know Brian's going to have to talk to Regal about that. But I would like to see how that story builds with Brian, like, literally getting mad at the Combat Club for not being out there with him. But we'll see how that goes. And that is your Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact will start off with Eddie Edwards with Kenny King in his corner going against Ace Austin, who had Chris Bay in his corner. Basically, Honor No More going against Bullet Club. Eddie Edwards would win the match by pinfall when Ace was looking to hit him with the fold, but Eddie would grab the ref's leg, and you would see Ace walk over to Eddie, and you would see him grab him from behind and then shove Eddie into the turnbuckle. Eddie would roll out of the turnbuckle, and then you would see Ace run over to him to try to hit the fold again. But Eddie would pop Ace into the air, grab him, hit him with a powerbomb, then roll him up into a Tiger Driver, execute the move, pin Ace, but Ace wouldn't be put away by that. He would kick out at two. So Eddie would hit the diehard driver on Ace Austin, and that would finally put him away for the win, and Eddie Edwards gets the win. Now, Eddie Edwards beating Ace Austin, this was a good match between both of these guys. Uh... Impact gave them a solid, I believe, 16, 17 minutes. It was a good match between those two. And you know, the funny part is, is that, again, Impact put on good uh, professional wrestling matches when they first start, when they first start to show off. If it's a, I don't remember the last time they had an in-ring promo to start their show. It's just usually always match, match, match to start the show. Um, So I implore everybody, please watch this Eddie Edwards versus Ace Austin match. You will not be disappointed. After this, you had Laredo Kid and Trey Miguel going against Zicky Dice and Johnny Swinger. Laredo Kid would win the match for his team by pinfall when Trey Miguel would hit Zicky Dice with the Meteora, and then Laredo Kid would hit a Frog Splash for the win. After that match, we would get another match, and this time it's from uh, OVW. It's two OVW wrestlers coming into Impact to basically trying to get a spotlight on them. And the OVW wrestlers are Tiffany Neves going against Jada Stone. And Tasha Steeles was on commentary for this matchup. Tasha Steeles had Rachel Evans right next to her. Uh, Tiffany would win the match by pinfall when Jada would miss a cannonball into the turnbuckle, and then you would see Tiffany grab her, hit her with a DDT. Tiffany would roll her up, hold the second rope as the pin was going. The referee doesn't see it, so Tiffany would win the match. After the match, however... Killer Kelly would make her Impact debut, and she would walk down and get in the ring, and Tiffany would get in Killer Kelly's face, and you see Tiffany start talking towards Kelly, and he would push Kelly. 
Kelly will respond by giving her a pump kick to the face and then lock her in a Cobra Clutch style submission. Tiffany would fade in that submission and then you would see Kelly let go of the hold. Kelly would be seeing Jada leaning on the bottom turnbuckle and then you see her run and hit her with a running dropkick. Kelly would then grab Jada and hit her with a double underhook forward slam. And that's Killer Kelly for you. Killer Kelly's now an impact. Tasha Steeles didn't like that. Tasha Steeles didn't like that Killer Kelly was here and trying to make her name on these two uh, people that were just trying to be on the roster. She didn't like that. She was just trying to figure out, like, who is this woman here? What What is she doing here? She didn't sign up for anything. So it seems to me that Tasha Steeles is going to be Killer Kelly's first, like, official, like, knockout to go against on the women's roster and personally i can't wait to see it because sasha still she's a great wrestler and uh she hasn't been doing anything lately to be honest with you they haven't had her on knockout they haven't had her on impact television in a minute so for her to be back here and her in this commentary spot and now you see that where they're laying the eggs for her to go against kelly kelly that's going to be good for the future after this, we would get Josh Alexander going against Shiro, who had Raj Singh in his corner. Josh would win the match by submission, and Josh would get Shiro locked in the ankle lock, and Shiro would tap out. No more needs to be said here. There was just two big guys just smashing into each other. If you like that, that's the match for you. After the match, Raj would get a microphone and start calling out uh, management because he says this is an injustice. He says that Josh should be disqualified and Shira should be held as the winner. Raj says that he isn't leaving the ring until he gets justice. The lights will go out, and once they pop back on, Sammy Callahan will be in the ring with his bat. Sammy would hit Raj in the gut with the bat, then grab him, hit him with a pile driver, and that's the end of Raj Singh. Sammy would get the mic and say that he heard what Moose had to say earlier in the night. Moose talked about that him and Steve Macklin are not working together and he doesn't know why Macklin's even around him, yada, yada. Sammy straight up said, yo, I don't care what you had to say earlier because you and Macklin, you both have a date with the death machine. So Sammy Callahan's still coming after Moose, and now he's coming after Steve Macklin. Now, after this, we would see um, Honor No More go up and walk up on Scott Demore. They're upset because Scott has been allowing Heath to constantly attack members of Honor No More week by week with no repercussions and no nothing. And they're upset that Mike Bennett and Matt Taven have not gotten their Impact uh, World Tag Team Championship matchup since they beat the Good Brothers. They should be the number one contenders, but they haven't gotten that yet. And Scott tells them, listen, hey, I hear you guys. I hear you complaining, but hey, right now I'm kind of busy and... Honor No More doesn't take exception to that. So they leave and then they start messing with the production truck because Miriam was cutting a backstage uh, promo. She was talking about how much she respects Jordan Grace, but at come emergence, she comes to beat Jordan Grace and become the new knockouts women's champion. And some of that audio starts getting messed with and you start seeing some of the footage start getting messed with. You see uh, technical signs saying signal has been lost. We cut backstage, we see Scott Demore and other Impact officials running to the production truck, and you see Honor No More messing with some of the wires. Ultimately, Scott Demore gets upset and gets pissed off. Honor No More, Eddie Edwards, more specifically being the mouthpiece, saying, hey, 
you know what we want. You haven't been giving us what we want. So we got to take matters into our own hands. Scott Demore said, you know what? Fine. You guys want a tag title match? You'll get it. However, at Emergence, first, you have to beat Bullet Club. It'll be five on five, Honor No More, going against Bullet Club. If you guys win, you guys get your tag team title match. However, if you guys lose, Honor No More will disband, and that'll be it of Honor No More. So that's the match that we're going to get at Emergence, five on five, Bullet Club going against Honor No More. And I'll be interested in seeing how that really plays out. Now it's time for the main event of Impact. Rich Swan going against the debuting Impact debut of Kushida. And also, this is their first match ever. Um, Kushida would win the match by submission when Rich and Kushida were both on the top turnbuckle. And Kushida would grab Rich's left arm, the same arm that he's been beating up on this whole entire match. So Rich kind of is uh, paranoid with the left arm. And he will lock in the hoverboard lock. Kushida would hit an arm drag off the top turnbuckle and he would still hold on to the arm. And then he would continue to lock in the hoverboard lock. And Rich would ultimately have to tap out. This was a good match between Rich and Kushida. They gave this match enough time. This was 25 minutes worth of time for these two. They got to uh, showcase why the, they are literally two of the best junior heavyweights out there in the world. So I will implore you again to watch this matchup. Impact started with a good match between Eddie Edwards and Ace Austin. And they ended with a good match with Rich Swan and Kushida. Again, I implore you, if you want to see good wrestling and that doesn't get highlighted enough, go watch Impact Wrestling. I implore you, go watch it. You will not, and I mean this, you will not be disappointed. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre in a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match. Winner faces the undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion at Clash of the Castle. Um, around the ring, they had barrels, like, stacked up, like, three barrels stacked up at the entranceway. Uh, they were Irish barrels, empty. Um, they had tables set up around the ring. They had a, like, shelf, a wooden shelf with, like, pictures that had, like, Seamus's family on them, but it was a mimic-type deal of Seamus' face inside of them. And, um, shillelaghs around the ring. Um, there were multiple shillelaghs broken. You had tables getting broken as well. Steel chairs were used. Butch and Ridge both got involved in this. But Drew McIntyre would win the match when you would see Drew McIntyre looking at Sheamus after he just got done putting him through a table in the ring, powerbombing him. You would see Sheamus start to crawl for shillelagh in the corner. Drew's looking at Sheamus and he's just telling him to stop, stay down. And you see that Drew really doesn't want to do it, but he... Hits a Claymore on Sheamus and then pins him for the win. So Drew will be facing whoever is the universal, undisputed universal heavyweight champion at Clash at the Castle. Again, good match between both of these guys. It's always going to be a good match between these two because they know each other so well. They fought each other and they know just give it all they have it. Like, they just know to swing for the fences between both of them. After the match, Drew McIntyre will have an in-ring interview. Drew will give it up for the crowd for being loud during the match. Drew will let Sheamus know that he had to do what he had to do because someone has to take the championship off the part-time champions, which is referring to Roman and Brock since they don't hardly show up on the shows anymore. Theory would attack Drew from behind with the Money in the Bank briefcase and hit him multiple times in the back with it. This is uh, retaliation for Drew uh, McIntyre messing with him on Monday Night Raw. After Theory would beat up Drew with the briefcase, he would hold the briefcase in the air and he will say that he is going to be the future Universal Undisputed Heavyweight Champion at SummerSlam. 
Uh, we'll have to see what happens at SummerSlam. We will then go over to Michael Cole and Pat McAfee, who's at the commentary table, and they're talking about Pat's upcoming match with Corbin at SummerSlam, and then we will see Happy Corbin walking through the crowd, and he's holding a bag of popcorn, a sign that says loser on it with an old mugshot of Pat McAfee, and a ticket, meaning that Pat can't touch Corbin because Corbin tonight is seen as a fan, and fans can't touch the audience, well, fans can't touch the wrestlers, wrestlers can't touch the audience, uh, yada yada. Corbin would throw popcorn at Pat, and Pat would be visibly annoyed by Corbin. Corbin would constantly trash talk Pat as Pat and Michael would run down the SummerSlam card. Corbin would stand up and move closer to the barricade. Pat would stand up from his chair and look at Corbin. Corbin would throw his bag of popcorn into Pat McAfee's face. Backstage officials would come down and stop Pat McAfee from doing something to Corbin. Corbin would hop the barricade, and now they have officials guarding both Corbin and Pat McAfee, one on Corbin, two on Pat. Pat would tell his officials that he's good, and Corbin would take this opportunity to kick Pat right in the nuts, dropping Pat McAfee to the floor. Corbin would laugh as he walks to the back, so now this is the last time we see Corbin of the night, and Pat McAfee will have to continue with doing his job by going back to commentary and commentating the rest of the night. After this, we would get a match between Shotzi versus Aaliyah. Aaliyah was supposed to face Lacey Evans, but they uh, let people know that Lacey Evans was not medically cleared, so that's the reason why we have this match. Shotzi would win the match by pinfall, shockingly, when Shotzi would hit a cross-legged DDT called the Never Wake Up. That move looks brutal. It looks like Aaliyah's head literally hit the mat. With a DDT, you're supposed to protect your opponent by having your arm literally around their head, like the wrappings of their head. So once they drop back, they're not technically hitting the mat. They're hitting the inner side of your arm. So that's how a DDT kind of works there. But it looks like Aaliyah's head hit the mat. So that's why I said it looked really uh, wicked. Uh, after the match, we would go backstage and see Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey taking face-off photos for their upcoming match at SummerSlam. And they will be interrupted by Natalia. Natalia will tell Liv that she's going to lose the championship to Ronda in record-breaking time at SummerSlam. Natalia will tell the photographer that he should be taking photos of her with that championship because it was her that made Liv the champion, referring to her beating up Ronda Rousey at Money in the Bank, which led Liv to cash in the cha uh, Money in the Bank for her to become champion. Sonya Deville will walk up and put her arm on Natty's shoulder and mention how Ronda claims to be the baddest woman on the planet, but last week attacked her while she got done having a match with Raquel Rodriguez last week. They show a video of that, by the way. Ronda will leave and start walking towards the ring where Shotzi is still in the ring. Shotzi will have a mic in her hand, but before she could say truly anything, Ronda will get in the ring and tell Shotzi to leave and hand her the mic. Shotzi wouldn't and tried to hit Ronda, but Ronda would catch the punch, hit a judo throw, then flow into a Piper's pit. Ronda would hold on to Shotzi's arm, grab the mic from her, and tell her bye-bye. Shotzi would roll out of the ring. Ronda would call Liv out so both Ronda and Liv can teach Natalia and Selena Ville why they are fighting for the championship at SummerSlam and not them. So we would get a tag team matchup between both all four of these ladies. Liv and Ronda would beat Natalia and Sonya Deville when Ronda would get the win for her team by submission when Liv would hit Natalia with Oblivion and Ronda would lock in the ankle lock on Sonya Deville and Sonya would tap out. After the match, Ronda and Liv would have a stare down with each other and the story of this tag matchup is really Liv was trying to prove her worth 
not just to the fans, but more importantly to herself, because during this matchup, there was times that Ronda was actually asking for Liv to tag her in, but Liv would just not tag her in. Then you would see Liv get beat up more and more. Then there would be a spot where Liv would, again, she could have had tagging Ronda, but she decides to go back in and still try to handle it on her own. But ultimately, she would tag in Ronda, and Ronda would finish off uh, the match. After this, we will have the Street Profits and the Usos coming into the ring, and you will see Jeff Jarrett coming in right after him. And this is supposed to be the segment where Jeff Jarrett just gives out his instructions for their tag matchup at SummerSlam. The Usos and the Street Profits will ask questions about what if they did this or what if they did that, would they be disqualified and all that type of stuff. Basically dumb questions just to try to get a rise out of each other to see if somebody was going to do something. Jeff will let them know that he only has one job, and that's to make the count as SummerSlam. Jeff will let both teams know that since they have a lot of animosity towards each other, if you feel froggy, then jump. The Profits would hit the Usos first, and then we would have a brawl in our hands. Jeff Jarrett would try to stay out of the way. He'll be sitting on one top turnbuckle, and then you see, like, Angelo and Jimmy moving towards him that way. Jeff would hop off the top turnbuckle and then go to another top turnbuckle in another corner, and then you see... Angelo and Jimmy again move over towards him that way. He would jump off the turnbuckle again, and now he's in the middle of the ring, and Jeff would get hit with an inadvertent super kick from Jay Uso, who was aiming at Montez, but Montez would duck, leading to Jeff getting hit with super kick. The Usos and the Street Profits would stop, and they would look at Jeff Jarrett as he's on the mat holding his mouth. And you will see Jimmy push Jay, asking him what did he do. Jay said that he didn't mean to hit him, and you would see Jay and Jimmy walk over and try to help Jeff to his feet, but Jeff would push both of them off of him. Dawkins then would take this opportunity to shoulder tackle Jay and Jimmy out of the ring. Montez would hit a top cunt helo on the Usos outside of the ring. And to finish the segment off, you will see the Street Profits holding the tag titles up, and Jeff Jarrett just looking at the Usos outside of the ring. So this could give a wrinkle into the match towards the Street Profits winning, maybe, unless it's one whole big swerve, we'll have to see what happens at SummerSlam. We would then go backstage, and we would get the Maximum Male Models showing off their summer collection. We would get Monsay and Monsoif showing off the summer collection. You would have Maxine Dupree, formerly known as Sophia Cromwell in NXT, there. And we would get the return of Max Dupree. He was not there last uh, last week on SmackDown. And reports will be coming out about how Vince McMahon didn't like Max Dupree being there. Um, he didn't like how his delivery was. There would be all type of reports going throughout the week of Max Dupree no longer being with the Maximum Male Models. And that's why Maxine is there. But Max is there and he's still on the roster. He's still on SmackDown. He's still with his Maximum Male Models. And I'm happy for that because you know what? Max Dupree, Eli Drake... Uh, L.A. Knight, whatever you want to call him, he deserves to be on the main roster. He deserves to be on primetime television. He has the look. He has the charisma. He has the abilities in the ring to actually be a star if they give him the opportunity. And I believe that this doing this whole Max male model thing, that's just the first step for him to be a star that people in the main like world can see him, not just the wrestling fans that know him from Impact or NXT, but... For him to just be in the front stage, I'm glad that they did not cut his water off and he's still with doing what he's doing on SmackDown. I was uh, I was real happy when I saw him on SmackDown. Uh, after this, we would get the New Day going against the Viking Raiders. 
Uh, the New Day will put up a hell of a fight with the Viking Raiders, but the Viking Raiders would win the match by pinfall when they would hit the double high elevated powerbomb on Kofi Kingston for the win. After the match, the Viking Raiders would go outside of the ring and get their shields and a steel chair and go back into the ring. Xavier would get in the ring and have a stare down with the Vikings, and he would just start puffing himself up, and he would run straight head first right in towards the Vikings, but the Vikings would swat at Xavier with their shield, knocking him out. The Viking Raiders would then put the leg of Xavier inside the steel chair, and then they would take their shields and slam it on top of the chair, bending it, and Xavier would yell out in agony, and he would like immediately start taking the chair off of his foot and start unlacing his boot and start uh, holding his foot. The commentary team would let the audience know at home that Xavier had an Achilles injury years ago, so this could affect it, and he could be out for some weeks, but we'll have to see about that. Uh, you would see Medical come down to the ring and check on Xavier, and we'll have to see what happens next week on SmackDown. After this, we will get to our final uh, segment of the night, technically the main event of SmackDown, Paul Heyman in the middle of the ring. Paul Heyman will start off by singing the praises of Roman Reigns. He will mention that Roman has been champion for 700 days, and nobody in WWE for the last 35 years has come close to that, and Brock Lesnar is going to try to play spoiler at SummerSlam. Paul says over his dead body will that happen because at SummerSlam, Roman will stand tall over the lifeless body of Brock Lesnar holding the championships in the air and they will be done with Brock once and for all because this is supposed to be the last time that Brock and Roman will have a match with each other. Brock Lesnar's music would hit. Brock Lesnar would come out and walk towards the ring. Brock would get in the ring. Paul Heyman would try to be friendly and offer the mic to Brock Lesnar, but Brock doesn't want the mic. He just moves closer to Paul Heyman. Theory would sneak attack Brock from behind with the briefcase, but that doesn't work on Brock because it's Brock Lesnar. He is a mammoth of a man. Brock would, in turn, grab the briefcase from Theory, start hitting Theory with it in the gut and in the back the same way that he did last Friday on SmackDown. And then he would German suplex Theory a couple times, leading to Theory rolling out of the ring. Once Theory's outside of the ring, Theory's like on the ramp. Theory would turn around, and once he's there, Drew McIntyre would be there, and Drew would Claymore kick Theory in the face. And you will see Drew have a stare down with Brock Lesnar because this could be the main event that you see at Clash at the Castle because Brock hasn't had a rematch with Drew McIntyre since their match at WrestleMania in 2020 in the uh, closed down PC. Not to be, yeah, it was a PC because, yeah, because it was COVID. Yeah, that was the last time Brock and Drew technically had a match with each other, so we could see that clash at the castle. Or we could see Roman and Drew, or we could see Drew go against Theory. We'll all have to find out at SummerSlam. SmackDown was good. I just wish that we would have had Roman there because we could have had Roman staring down with Brock or Roman staring down with Drew. You basically could have had all four of the chosen guys because, remember, Roman was chosen during the Shield era. Brock Lesnar has always been a chosen guy since he's come back. He's been... The Andre, he the giant, meaning that he comes in whenever he wants to. He's the attraction piece. Uh, Drew McIntyre, he was the chosen one when he came into WWE. When he came back, we all knew he was going to be WWE champion whenever they wanted to do it. And Theory has been given the chosen label because he's Mr. Money in the Bank. So it would have been nice to have SmackDown literally closed with all four guys who are potentially WWE Universal Championship like caliber 
towards the end of SummerSlam. I would have loved for SmackDown to end with that, but I was cool with what SmackDown gave us at the end. I'm cool with that. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage will start off with a six-man tag match or a trios match. Uh, Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt going against the best friends and Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would win the match for his team by pinfall when he hit Sanjay with the orange punch and cover him for the win. After the match, Satnam would get in the ring and grab Orange Cassidy by the throat. Trent Beretta would get in the ring and break the hold and shove Satnam Singh, but Satnam would push Trent into the ropes and then hit him with a big boot to the face, and this would take out Trent Beretta. You would see Satnam pick up Orange Cassidy, and you would see Lethal would hit Orange with the Lethal Injection. Then you would hear the music of Warlow, and Warlow would come out. He would come down to the ring, get in the ring, and have a stare down with Jay Lethal and his company with him. Sanjay would tell Jay and Satnam that it's time for them to go, and they do so. So it tells me that Warlow is going after Jay Lethal and his company. I'm not mad at it because Jay Lethal needs to do something in AEW. They got one of the best guys out here on the planet on your roster, and you're doing nothing with him. So I'm glad they're doing something with Jay Lethal on the AEW side, not just the Ring of Honor side. After this, we have Ethan Page going against Leon Ruffin. This is a rematch from their matchup that they had on, I believe, AEW Dark or Dark Elevation last week. Uh, Ethan Page would win the match by pinfall when you hit the Eagles Edge on Leon for the win. During the match, you would see Stokely Hathaway and Lila Gray backstage watching the match, and you could tell that they're interested in somebody. It seems to me they might be interested to recruit Ethan Page, but we'll have to see as time goes on. After this, we would get Lee Moriarty going against Matt Seidel. Stokely Hathaway would come down to the ring towards the end of the match. Lee Moriarty would win the match by submission when he would lock in the Motor City stretch on Matt Seidel, and Matt would tap out. After the match, Moriarty would hold on to the hold until Stokely would tell him to let go of the hold, which Moriarty does. Stokely would get in the ring and hand Moriarty a business card, Moriarty, this time, instead of tearing up like he did last week, he actually takes the card, so it tells me that Lee Moriarty has some interest in joining Stokely Hathaway and his group. After this, we would get Claudio Castagnoli to come down for a championship uh, celebration, if you will. It would be Claudio coming out with William Regal. Claudio would be asked how he feels to be a world champion. Claudio would say thanks in five different languages to start off. Claudio would say that it's an honor to stand in front of you as the Ring of Honor World Champion. And Claudio isn't a selfish guy. He calls out Wheeler Yuta to join him because he had a good night at Death Reporter's Honor as well because he retained the Pure Championship. Yuta would come to the ring and Claudio would give him the mic. And before Yuta could truly say anything, Chris Jericho would leave the commentary table and say that he is not going to be sitting at the commentary table and listen to these people cheer for you guys. He's not going to do that. Yuta would cut Jericho off and say that at death before his honor, he beat Jericho's boy, Daniel Garcia. And that match built up his confidence to the point that Yuta would say that he can beat Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho would disagree with that, and Yuta would say, yes, I can. And then you would get a back and forth of, yes, I can, no, you can't, between Yuta and Jericho. Yuta would ask Claudio and Weiru, can he beat Jericho? They both agree, and then Yuta starts saying that he can beat Jericho over and over again, to the point that this takes Jericho off, that he makes the challenge for a match between both of them next week on Dynamite. Yuta would disagree and say, nah, I'm good, and this would further piss Jericho off, to the point that Jericho would sweeten the deal. Jericho would tell Yuta that if you can beat me, you will get the match with Moxley in two weeks for the AEW Interworld Championship. 
So Jericho puts up his championship opportunity. Yuta accepts the match, so we get that match next week on Dynamite. Also, it was announced that at Battle of the Belts on August 6th, basically next Saturday, Claudio Castagnoli will go against Kanosuke Takeshita for the ROH World Championship. We would then get to see a video of the Acclaim's music video. In the music video, they would announce that next week on Dynamite, the Acclaim will face the Gun Club in a dumpster match. The same exact match that got the Gun Club's father, Billy Gunn, and Road Dogg, the New Age Outlaw, to a new level in the WWF at the time when they beat Cactus Jack and Terry Funk on Monday Night Raw. Uh, now going into the main event of Rampage, we would get Anna Jay going against Ruby Soho. Anna would win the match by referee stoppage when Anna would use Ruby's cast as leverage when the referee wasn't looking to lock in the Queen Slayer, which is a submission hold, and Ruby would start to fade. The referee would see Ruby fading uh, through that hold, and the ref would call for the bell. So Anna J would win the match, and we would end with Anna in the ring, taking a bow with Jericho on the ramp, just clapping it up for Anna J because Anna J is a part of the Jericho Appreciation Society. So he's clapping it up for one of his stablemates. So Dynamite and Rampage both ends with referee stoppage. And they end with both members of Jericho Appreciation Society members, Daniel Garcia on Dynamite beating Brian Danielson. And with Anna J beating Ruby Soho, both Jericho members getting the win. So it was a good week for the Jericho Appreciation Society. And that was Rampage. Now onto SummerSlam uh, predictions. Uh, here's my prediction for SummerSlam. Logan Paul versus The Miz. I'll go with Logan Paul again. I don't think they're going to have a celebrity just lose. But again, they could. So I'm still going with Logan Paul here. Uh, WWE SmackDown Women's Championship matchup. Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. Liv Morgan's first championship uh, defense. I think they're going to have Liv win that. Because, again, she just won that a couple weeks ago at Money in the Bank. And I don't think they're going to have her just drop this because that would make everybody really hate Ronda more. But if that's where they want to go with Ronda's character, I mean, they could do that. But I don't think they're going to pull that trigger yet. I still think they're going to have Liv retain the championship. United States Championship matchup. Bobby Lashley going against Theory. Bobby's going to win. I don't think they're going to take the title off of Bobby. The same way I'm thinking with the whole Liv deal. But Bobby's not an underdog. But Liv's an underdog with Ronda Rousey. Bobby's a legit big fish. He's going to beat Theory. So that's just my thing for that. Pat McAfee going against Happy Corbin. I see Pat is going to get some retribution after weeks and weeks of getting beat down by <laughs> Corbin so many times. I see Pat McAfee literally winning this. Or, or we can see Happy Corbin winning this by disqualification. Pat McAfee getting so upset that he actually punk kicks Corbin right in the nuts. So... I'm leaning more towards the Pat McAfee beating Corbin, but if we get Corbin winning by DQ by getting kicked in the nuts, I wouldn't be mad at that neither. That's the only way I see Corbin winning, getting kicked in the nuts. The referee sees it. That's the way. No disqualification tag team matchup. The Mysterios going against Judgment Day, Damian Priest, and Finn Balor. Uh, I'm going with Judgment Day. Something about this just screams somebody's going to do something. Somebody in the Mysterios, whether it be Dominic or Ray, just doing something to the other. I think this is the time for... Matter of fact, hold up. Let me stop that. The Mysterios are winning. The Mysterios are winning because somebody's coming back. I have a feeling somebody's coming back because there's been these vignettes showing up on Raw and they've been showing up on Money in the Bank. And as of Edge basically coming back, they've been showing like his past like victims. They had a thing of Jer- uh, 
John Cena, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio mask, uh, Dudley's glasses, Jeff Hardy's like armbands. Edge is coming back, and Edge has beef with the Judgment Day, so I can see him showing up since it's a no disqualification matchup. The Mysterios are winning this. Uh, tag team matchup for the undisputed WWE tag team titles. The Usos going to the Street Profits. Jeff Jarrett serves as special guest referee. I'm not mad at, at either team winning, whether it's the Usos or the Street Profits. I know we're going to have a good match between both of these teams. But since I am making a prediction here, I'm going with the Street Profits beating the Usos. Raw Women's Championship matchup, Becky Lynch going against Bianca Belair. This is Bianca's storybook revenge for a year of Becky just constantly taunting her, of beating her last year at SummerSlam in a quick fashion. I think Bianca's going to beat Becky Lynch here, and Bianca's going to be your Raw Women's Championship champion, still retaining the Raw Women's Championship. Now it's time for the main event. Last man standing, undisputed, WWE Universal Championship matchup, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. I think it's still going to be Roman. I think we're going to get the match of Roman going against Drew at uh, Clash at the Castle. And I think Drew actually might be the guy to beat Roman for the undisputed WWE Universal Championships. I think they're going to head us with a fake out at SummerSlam. I don't think Theory's going to cash in. If he does cash in, I still think he's going to lose. Somehow, hook or by crook, I don't think they're going to put the title that quick on Theory. I could be wrong because somebody does like Theory in the back, and I'm not saying Theory isn't a good, talented wrestler. I'm just saying that it just seems that we might be putting on the title quickly on Theory, but it's all WWE's world. We don't know. But just my best money right now, I think Roman's going to beat Brock, and I think Roman might have a trick up his sleeve for Theory at SummerSlam if Theory decides to cash in his uh, Money in the Bank briefcase. And with that, that is my SummerSlam predictions. I want everybody to have a great Saturday. You will get a SummerSlam review tomorrow as well as a Sunday episode traditionally. So you'll get a two-episode uh, show tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, with that, again, have a good Saturday. I hope you everybody watches SummerSlam if you do. This is not an ad. I'm just saying, since you're on, since you're listening to this and you're listening to wrestling highlights, why not watch uh, SummerSlam on Peacock? I believe it's $9.99 a month, or probably even cheaper if you get it like for the whole year round. Either way, you can look it up yourself. Again, have a good day. I love you all. You'll hear from me again, whether you listen to a Sunday episode or the SummerSlam episode, or if you just happen to skip both of those, you'll hear from me again next uh, Saturday for Wrestling Highlights Week. But with that, I love you. Have a great Saturday. Don't be a dick. Don't be a douche to anybody. Again, Suicide Hotline in the uh, description below. I love you all. I really do mean that from the bottom of my heart. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.